Welcome to the first installment of Beyond Spirecast. You'll hear about subjects closely tied or related to our industry, and frankly, things that we think that you're going to find interesting. So, for our first episode, we wanted to bring you a conversation between our founder, Mike Jacato, and Spire's corporate attorney, Brian Jacato, who's actually been a guest on the podcast previously. And the guys sat down for a conversation about all things, but mainly Bitcoin and what it is and how it's being used to compensate employees and a whole lot more. So here's Mike and Brian. Okay, so I brought Brian Jacato back on the Spirecast for one reason and one reason only, and that is because he was the most listened to guest host of the two we had in 2019. But the other reason was we get a lot of, um, I guess, side questions on 401ks with our with our uh, candidates and, and IRAs and you know does a company have a match and all this stuff and what recently has been coming up uh, randomly I think it's gaining steam but randomly has been the topic of um, either paying employee, employees in Bitcoin or you know what is Bitcoin how can I invest in Bitcoin um, and it's it's not you know the, the typical topic that we would discuss but we wanted to bring in someone that has written for uh, one of the main uh, magazines for bitcoin and kind of answer some rudimentary questions before um you know delving into the the space as a whole but i wanted to bring brian back on because it's a subject near and dear to his heart like i said he's written for uh bitcoin and so i figure there's no better guest that we have access to to bring on to answer some rudimentary questions again and just so we're clear here not financial advice Definitely not. Okay, don't buy it. <laughs> um, but I think as someone that I would call myself a noob, I think talking from one noob to someone that's slightly less noobish <laughs> would be would be a good thing for folks that want to know what is Bitcoin. And especially with our reach um, on LinkedIn, I think putting this out there for folks would be beneficial that um, just don't know where to get this information from or someone to trust. So again, we're going to discuss... Uh, a couple things today around it, but I wanted to bring Brian back on. And so I guess the first thing, Brian, starting from the top, I keep hearing about Bitcoin. It, it's, it was kind of a, a frenzy back in 2017. It's since cooled down. Now it's 2019 again. There's some event happening down the, down the road here called the halvening. I don't really know what that means, but starting from the top, can you tell me what Bitcoin is and what it does? Ooh, that is a, a tough first question. Um, <laughs> But I mean, the thing about Bitcoin is it has, like anything else in this sort of blockchain crypto space, uh, it's difficult to pinpoint an exact definition and people look at it differently depending on their uh, particular views. But the way I I characterize or define Bitcoin as, as sort of a opt-in form of private money that is delinked from federal governments, uh, central banks, and, and basically any sort of aspect of the traditional financial system. Okay, so opt-in form of money. That 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 to me, that's interesting because I didn't know you can opt out of out of money. Uh, I only use dollars. I pay my employees in dollars. Mm-hmm. Their four hundred one k is made up of dollars and stock certificates. So, what do you mean, like opting in? Well, so largely, you know, the do- we're obviously a U.S. based uh, company. I'm a U.S. based lawyer, and there are a lot of laws on the books that sort of incentivize paying in dollars um, or command paying in dollars. Like if you're paying your taxes, you have to basically pay in dollars or some sort of rough equivalent um, priced in dollars. Otherwise, you can't pay your taxes. And if you don't pay your taxes, you're in big trouble. Mm. Um, So Bitcoin is opt-in in in that nobody is required to be in this space 
or be in this ecosystem, they're doing it because they want to. It's, it's the purest form of participation. Um, and so it's opt-in in that respect, and there's no, there's no you know, government inf- mandating that you use this currency. It's entirely voluntary. So I think it's pretty important in that respect, and it's private because it's delinked from any national government or coalition of national governments. So when we're talking about opting into it, that, that means someone uh, purchased it or, or earned it. Like we said, we're mm-hmm. getting questions about getting paid in it because people don't want to buy it. I think right now it's like $7,000 per Bitcoin. You know, two years ago, it was 2000. Prior to that, it was in the hundreds. So it's, it's gaining uh, momentum over the long haul pretty, pretty quickly. Um, you know, obviously, it's very volatile from what I've mm-hmm. seen. But, you know, in terms of the questions that we're getting, so you opt in, you buy it. It's not regulated, right? Um, it's, it's not directly regulated. I mean, by government. Yeah. I mean, to the extent that, you know, you have to report it on your taxes. I mean, people may decide not to do that, but there are sort of ancillary regulations that are a part of, you know, the laws that we all agree, um, actively or passively to abide by, uh, that regulate this thing somewhat. I mean, it's not directly regulated in this, in the traditional sense, the way you think of us dollars being regulated by, you know, the policy being set by, a you know, board of directors or uh, Federal Reserve right. chairman and then, you know, politicians and things like that. So there are some regulations, but it's not directly regulated in the traditional sense, I'd say. So, all right. So, the, so then the other question is not regulated. I can opt into it, opt into it, but it's, you know, it's somewhat regulated in that if you do cash out of it, you got to, you got to, you know, kind of regulate it on, with, with dollars. But why would, um, why would someone, I guess, uh, opt out of their current system like is there a reason why we should be thinking about opting out of the current system meaning using dollars yeah i mean i think there's i mean using u.s dollars is still obviously an incredibly good uh, medium of exchange uh you under people intuitively understand the value of a u.s dollar because they can peg it to different things um but on this there were sort of at a point where our policymakers, as the United States, which is the the global reserve, one of the global reserve currencies, but it's certainly uh, in the United States, it, it's it's the thing that we price everything in. Right. Um, and you know, we see right now happening. Uh, there's a lack of faith in many of our traditional institutions that uh, require uh, broad faith uh, in, in order for them to work. Um, and among those are our political branches. You know, Congress has just you know, notoriously poor uh, approval ratings. The president is, you know, in the news constantly about one thing or another. Um, and the Federal Reserve, which regularly uh, sets monetary policy, is sort of printing money in order to facilitate a lot of uh, consumer and business debt. So we're sort of at a point where people are starting to question. And remember, how, and how sustainable is this th- yeah. this model, right? Right. And remember, we're also only ten you know, 12 years removed from the financial crisis. Where it almost was, the dollar was almost worth nothing, potentially. Right, and and, and, and the om- the complete economic collapse of the global economy. So that's on the mind of a lot of people. It's in the background. We were very scared back then. And we, what we see now is, you know, we had a... Almost. Yes. And we had a, you know, a, a recovery, but... Um, Due to people pumping more money into the... Uh, we we recovered be because... We, yeah, we recovered because the policymakers decided to pump more money into the economy and deflate or inflate uh, assets assets because like so a house was a hundred thousand dollars in 2007 it started crashing they didn't want it to go to zero because 
they they needed to save it somehow and save the economy. So what they did was they pumped money in, and then that that in theory trickled down, and then now we have asset prices raising like rising like crazy. So mm-hmm. I guess the, so. The questions we're getting is so if we opt out of that system, we're opting. You know, we're, we, we, we there was no alternative in 27, 28 because Bitcoin started when 29. Uh, 2009 was the white paper. 2008 was the white paper. 2009 was the first. Uh, 2009 Genesis was block. Genesis block. So Genesis block. So, um, all right. So we understand, I think, to kind of recap, we understand now that Bitcoin is an alternative, uh, completely permission uh, permissionless alternative. You don't have to ask anybody permission for it. You just get into the system, the network, and then you just you do that because you're afraid that the dollars that are being printed so aggressively by our political leaders who are notoriously... Um, unreliable yeah, unreliable and then no one really cares for them too much and and, and um in general uh just looking at polling right um why would they set policy and why would they allow uh, why would we as the people allow them to dictate how much the dollar is worth like you and i are getting paid to deliver a service for our customers and they're over here saying well that that might not be worth what you actually think it's worth because we're, we have to cover our butts to and we need to print more money so People are looking for an alternative. In 2009, there was none. Now we have one in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency where you can kind of opt out and, and use these these currencies to, um, in, th- in theory, uh, run your, your goods and services on. So, But obviously, there's a lot of questions around it. So I guess the first question is, with, with Bitcoin, let's just use Bitcoin because I don't want to get into other forms of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. It gets very complex, and, and I think even for us, our understanding is, is pretty much um, tethered to Bitcoin. Um, no pun intended if you know about Tether. Um, but it's a good one. Yeah. Um, but what what I wanna I wanna opt in. I I wanna pay my people in Bitcoin um, because I think it's the best uh, form of money that I've seen because yeah, it's twenty one million limited supply. You know, you can't just print more Bitcoin. We know it's gonna be twenty one million. That's in the in the code, right? Mm-hmm. It's in the white paper. Um, and we know that um, we know that there's a certain amount of volatility with a new asset class, but that in theory, over the long haul, this would be the best way to to maybe reward someone for services. Um, what is your thoughts around explaining the actual network to them and how it how it works? Because a Bitcoin is just like a, a buzzword now. But what, what the, like what is Bitcoin and how like how does a network work and what makes it valuable? Yeah. So this is a tough thing to try to explain in a few minutes, but basically. A Bitcoin is not a coin, obviously. It's a, a chain of signatures. Of tr- these signatures transfer value from one person to another. Um, and traditionally, when you transfer value from one person to another, there is some central authority that is monitoring that transaction to make sure it's uh, not fraudulent. Right. Um, and they're also monitoring the overall value and attempting to affect the value. So they do let's, this. Yeah, let's stop there. So I, I send you money through a bank. The bank reconciles the transaction. Mm-hmm. You're saying this is peer-to-peer. So who's reconciling this transaction that's peer-to-peer? So they, uh, rather than having a centralized institution reconcile the transaction, what they do is they incentivize an, uh, a group of volunteers uh, known as miners, and they can be anybody with computing power. And anyone and can a, get into the network or get out of the network as they see fit. Yes. Okay. Um, and they incentivize them essentially to confirm the transactions. And they do this through sort of a complex uh, system puzzle-solving system that we call proof-of-work. Um, but what the proof-of-work consensus algorithm does is it verifies the validity of the transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it adds a new block to the chain. It, it bundles all the transactions that occurred in the previous 
on average every 10 minutes this occurs, uh, bundles them all, ensures that they're verified and accurate, and incentivizes the people who are doing this by uh, to, to ensure that accuracy and that they're not you know, um, gaming the system for their own, their own well-being. Right. It incentivizes them by um, if they accurately solve a puzzle and the rest Through of the cryptography. network. Correct. Mm-hmm. And if they accurately solve this, this uh, proof-of-work puzzle and accurately verify the transactions, they are rewarded with a uh, block reward, it's called, mm-hmm. which is just Bitcoin. Okay, so, so, so hold on. So I want to send you one Bitcoin mm-hmm. and you want to receive it from, yeah, $7,000, right? So I'm going to send you one Bitcoin to your, your wallet, right? Now, there's no bank here doing this. So this is, I'm not sending it with a BB&T logo or SunTrust logo, whatever. I am sending this through this network. And there are anonymous or pseudo-anonymous or just someone that's mining this these transactions because it, instead of using a third party or a centralized bank to say, yes, that money is good, it's not going to bounce, check's not going to bounce, they say, yes, he has that one Bitcoin in his wallet, right? Mm-hmm. And Brian, yes, has a wallet to receive that Bitcoin. And we're we're solving this proof of we're solving this uh, this equation this uh, cryptographic equa- equation through all this these numbers called was it SHA two five six secure yeah, hash yeah yeah so it's the hash so um, that allows us to to send value without any third party that's an insane concept right yeah and when you use it I mean I think the the the, the way to best appreciate how amazing this technology is is to actually use it and it doesn't have to be a big amount i mean you can buy yeah. infinitesimal fractions of bitcoins they're called satoshis sats whatever they're like the equivalent of a, a, you know, a fraction of a penny fraction of a penny um so you can you know play around with how, however much you want we're not going to get into fees on that right now right but, and there's, yeah. There, yeah um but it's 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 a pretty incredible process that that only works because all of the transactions are broadcast publicly so there's no hidden transaction or anything like that and then uh these miners uh, basically validate and and uh, assure that these transactions are legitimate because again everything's public, so it's a very simple process for a computer to do. Um, they do that, and then the hard part is obviously finding the the, the solution to the cryptographic puzzle. But that if, if they do that, they are able to add that block to the blockchain mm-hmm. um, and then continue searching for the and next then that, one. And, that and then that transaction, right? So then that transaction is now part of this ledger, right? Mm-hmm. So think about a ledger that's distributed amongst everyone that's in the network that says, okay, Mike is good for that one Bitcoin. We voted yes. And again, I'm kind of maybe convoluting it or maybe watering it down or maybe not. But Mike is good for that one Bitcoin that he sent to Brian. It is now in Brian's wallet. You can't go back and double spend that because the network agreed now. And then they, that, that blockchain is almost like the, the truth, the new truth, yeah. right? And I that, mean, that's our truth now. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's obviously, you know, um, some more, uh, complexity to that but right. broadly speaking that that's that's accurate and so so we heard back in the 80s with reagan uh trust but verify this is don't trust just verify mm-hmm. and that's that, what well, you verify in this transaction there is no so that's how we're kind of creating trust through math so essentially um kind of recap recaps thus far we've talked about why someone would want to uh, use bitcoin because the system itself right now is one where we can't control the value of our dollar um because it's 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 controlled by a private entity, the Federal Reserve, or and several other central banks around the world. Or, yeah, and, and you have no input on these on any of these the, policies. We the people have no input. Correct. Right. So you opt out of uh, opt out of that. Not all of it. We're not you know, right. Yeah. And we don't. We're not. We're still using dollars. And you think you should use dollars, but having a hedge almost um, by saying like, all right, well, I'm going to put like one percent of my um, cash into this this Bitcoin because I want an ability to go peer to peer with someone. Um, and just 
also, I don't have any middleman to worry about. So I can, if I'm in Barbados on vacation, well, not Barbados, but if I'm in like Australia for va- for vacation, I don't have to convert to Australian currency. Mm-hmm. I can just send Brian Bitcoin from America to Aust- or Australia to America, and we're all good. Like everything's fine because it's a decentralized network, mm-hmm. and there is no third party government or third party bank that needs to be um, approved during this transaction or peer to peer. So now, catching everyone up, what reminds you of this concept? but not with value, not with money, with music. Napster. Mm-hmm. Napster was completely peer-to-peer, and um, you could download and share songs, uh, Kazam, uh, peer-to-peer. and Kazaa. Kazaa. Kazam is, uh, <laughs> I think, Shaq in that movie. <laughs> Great movie, but, uh, uh, unrelated. Yeah, but, but the point being is that th- this has happened before with other um, products and services, and now you he- you heard of the Onion Router, Tor? The Tor, Tor browser. Yeah. So that is a decentralized uh, system, right? But I do want to go back to the Napster analogy because I've heard that. But it's centralized. That's a why number of times. Well, it's, it's centralized. It got shut down and had a, a central figure to right. attack, and they did. It was and played it was, by uh, Justin Sean Timberlake. Parker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the big thing about Napster was they were taking pirated files that somebody else created and sharing them without their permission. Right. Bitcoin is not like that. Bitcoin is a file that is created out of the ether of the internet, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it belongs to no one except for the person who initially controls it because that it get, comes from that initial block reward from whatever miner mined it. Then that miner chooses to sell it or use it or hold it, whatever. But everything is done voluntarily, voluntarily, voluntarily. Yeah. And there's no theft without permission, but with permission. Yeah, if that without, makes sense. Yeah, because well, it's their own network. It's yeah. not like you're taking someone else's. You're not taking someone's work product. Yeah. and selling. So it. So that's what Napster is doing, or distributing it without their consent. This is the work product is the network, and so, people volunt- voluntarily opt in. Right. And so there's no there's no it's it's not like Na- people invoke the Napster analogy to talk about maybe it's criminal to use Bitcoin. Right. And it's very different from that. So right. I just want to you know clarify. Yeah. That. No. That's a fair. That's a fair uh, rebuttal or clarification. So. Um, but I, I think it is, it, it, that's the point. It's peer to peer, right? Yeah. Um, peer to peer. And so to the extent, I mean, yeah, to, yeah, for, for the purposes of this conversation, uh, peer to peer. So, um, so that's where we're at now. So we get these questions a lot and kind of coming back, they want an opportunity to do something that they, they know the supply cap of. So it's, it's there's scarcity. There's an element of scarcity to this, right? There's only going to be 21 million. Um, and again, you can go off on a tangent and say, well, there's hard forks and there's mm-hmm. things, there's new currencies co- popping up that are doing their own, but that's not the same here. Right. And I would, because, and I would just point out that uh, what I'm saying when people bring that hard fork analogy, say, oh, you can just create every other cryptocurrency in the world or you can hard fork it. And therefore there's not 21 million Bitcoin, there's infinite Bitcoin. What I would respond to that is creating a hard fork of Bitcoin that's not generally accepted as Bitcoin is sort of equivalent to throwing a bunch of tungsten in gold bars and saying it's the same thing as gold. Hmm. Um, it's diluting. Uh, it's it's an imposter of gold. It dilutes that value of that gold and contains just sort of the veneer of gold. Mm-hmm. But uh, no one would call it gold if you found the tungsten in there. Right. So that's for you, Peter Schiff. <laughs> um, but okay. So now I'm at a point now where I I'm kind of understanding Bitcoin in terms of hey look this is this is something that seems pretty well thought out. It's uh it's not hurting anyone. It's there's no you know. It, it, it sounds like really the biggest challenge with it is, all right, so how does the network sustain itself, right? So who's sustaining the network and these miners that you, you've kind of touched on? Um, help me understand, uh, w- once we do this transaction, why is this blockchain keep building on 
itself almost and, and who's who's doing the work. Right. So it's I mean, it's called a blockchain because each bundle of transactions um, that is linked to a proof of work puzzle is linked to the previous block. And that in, that increases the security of the network because it uh, w- when they're linked to the previous block, they're basically broken down into a hash themselves. And so it makes it more difficult to actually attack the network. Right. And so the longer your transaction is in the block in, in a blockchain, um, the more secure it is because it becomes more difficult to hack that particular block, uh, to replicate that block on your own chain and get it longer than the actual, let's say, the truth chain. So the truth chain. Yeah, and so the re- I mean that's the reason why it, they use a blockchain in the first place because there wasn't a, r- a really easy way to ensure that these things would not be attacked by nefarious actors. So what they did is make it incredibly difficult for nefarious actors to attack. And as a set, as a safeguard, um, they made it, they incentivized attackers um, to or disincentivize attackers, but incentivized. Well, they incentivized attackers to just play by the rules. Right. So the game um, theory, right? Yeah. So again, with, with, because this is totally permissionless 50, I mean, it's majority rule. So 51%, of what people say is the truth is the truth. Consensus. Yeah, so if you're going to attack the network, you have to acquire 51% of this computing and hashing power. Hashing power. So the idea is, okay, well let's, well, let's say there's an attacker who can actually acquire this 51%, and then they decide to just destroy the network. Um, or they, in or, or maybe not destroy the network, but they try to exploit the network for their own personal financial gain. Right. Maybe by giving themselves fraudulent transactions, r- reversing old transactions, whatever. Um, there's an economic incentive to do that for an attacker if you can acquire that hashing power. So by doing the block reward on each one of these proof-of-work puzzles and, and basically creating um, new Bitcoin and introducing it into the ecosystem, the potential attacker who gets 51% of the network power would actually be better served by just solving puzzles um, and solving the proof-of-work hashing algorithm uh, honestly, because they'll be able to actually acquire more and more Bitcoin. So you're saying it, it, you, these people that are keeping the network secure are incentivized to continue to build on the network than to destroy it Correct. because of just game theory and, right. and, and value. And self-interest. And self-interest. So, all right. So we got an understanding of why someone would opt into Bitcoin. We have an understanding of how it works to a certain extent, right? Very we're, high we're, level. Yeah. We're, and again, this was uh, for noobs, by noobs. <laughs> yeah, um, but but I think this is that was the point. So I think the last kind of piece here, before you know, at, at the risk of having this drag on and on, I think the last piece that I wanted to discuss with you is so who who invented this and, and why? I mean, I, I, we had we talked kind of touched on the why with the financial crisis in two thousand eight, and there needed to be some sort of answer to hey, this, this might not work this this federal dollar system. So what do we put our value and, and money into? Mm-hmm. But who who invented this? I mean, no, nobody actually knows who invented it. There are people who claim to have invented it. There are people who claim to know who. Wait, have wait no one it. knows who invented this. No. So that so so there is an anonymous program. An anonymous programmer uh, saw the light ten years ago and said it, this it invented this or made this it created this invention that is changing everyone's concept of how you can spend your money and he's not taking credit or she's not taking credit for it. Yes. And I do, I mean, there's people who say it's a group of people, but, um, I, I, uh, do not believe that for a second. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but there's a phrase, you know, if you have a secret between three people, the only way to keep it is to kill two of them. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, um, I, I just don't think any sort of group of people could keep this to themselves. 
um, for a variety of reasons. And so it's likely one individual, um, potentially somebody uh, affiliated with high levels of the government, potentially somebody completely unaffiliated, but to have the sort of programming knowledge um, that we didn't even touch on. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a large cypherpunk base that had been trying this for a while. So there is people completely dealing from the government that might have been able to do this too. But um, I think it's I think it's one individual uh, potentially may not even be living anymore. Um, and uh, I don't think that that person will come forward anytime soon. So, that, so that's an insane concept. So just to wrap this all up. So we have this, this network that's been developed that's running permissionless, leaderless, essentially anonymous uh, by people that are not uh, owned by any sort of centralized authority. There's no government backing this. There's no group backing this. This is just a network that is growing exponentially year over year. Mm-hmm. And the value associated with buying into this network is getting more and more valuable year over year. And no one's taking credit for it. I mean, again, people are taking credit. People for are trying it. to take credit for it, but everyone can disprove them because yes. they're just, they're just, they're, they're, but that's an insane concept. Why would someone not take credit for this incredible invention? Well, I mean, if you look at what the invention represents to the powers that be, it's pretty um, easy to see why someone would may want to stay not uh, or may want to stay, stay hidden. An- anonymous. Um, you know, this represents a very real threat to traditional finance, which is for most, uh, you know, we live in a, a world of primarily large nation states that control their their own country's their own finances currency, and yeah. currencies. Um, if you take that away from them, including these very uh, sophisticated uh, Western democracies and, 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 and uh, Asian uh, superpowers like China, um, if you take that capacity away from them, that is a huge arrow out of their quiver that they no longer have. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a huge way to incentivize their population's behavior that they no longer can, can uh, call upon. So if you're inventing this thing, um, you want to stay anonymous because Double you are uh, target number one for them, for sure. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I think that um, this was something that I wanted to put out based on the conversations we've had. And, and you just realize the amount of misinformation out there about this network. And, um, you know, I think that we could have brought on someone that maybe knew it uh, better. But I think talking to someone that is learning on the go, this is great conversation starter type material for people that um, don't know much about it. Just keep hearing about it, but haven't mm-hmm. taken the time to to um you know to research it so i guess the last thing would be what what do you what do you want to tell people on how to get more information about it like how did you teach yourself this stuff because this is not you know taught anywhere mm-hmm. um you know i i think you you have to start with the white paper which is a eight page paper um it's kind of you know a little computer you know cryptography oriented so it's a little bit of a, a tough read but you read that a few times um, and then uh, a website that I use, um, I think it's called the Nakamoto Institute, uh, after the pseudonymous, uh, uh, I guess he's not pseudonymous, he's anonymous. Anonymous creator. <laughs> uh, creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, who we kind of papered over his name, but his name is Satoshi Nakamoto. Or her. Um, or her. Or they. Uh, unlikely they. But unlikely they. For your reason. Anyway, Nakamoto Institute has a lot of the early blog posts that when Satoshi was active in the space, you know, emailing and, and, and uh, blogging about it. Yeah, trying to um, spin it up. Yeah, so that's a great resource in terms of trying to just figure out because th- these early questions, everybody has them. They're all almost the same, and it's you know what better resource than to go from the horse's mouth 
uh, and read what. And he could be a horse. <laughs> could be <laughs> sophisticated, sophisticated horse, nonetheless. All right. Well, anyways, uh, wanted to thank uh, you for coming on and uh, giving us some insight in the last two years of your journey from what is this to hey, this stuff is actually pretty interesting, and it seems much. Um, uh, it seems that we we need to investigate more, and uh, I appreciate this kind of primer from a layman's perspective. It helped me. And um, hopefully those who listen understand, hey, this is something that's going to be at the forefront moving forward now or 10 years now through an anonymous currency, and it's only getting stronger. Mm -hmm. So look out in the next decade. I thought this was a pertinent time to do it before the end of the decade here. Fast forward 10 years from now, any predictions on what what this could be? I I mean, obviously there's always the uh, death spiral scenario, and it goes to nothing. Um, But I think that is increasingly unlikely just based on, its proliferation proliferation in the last um, ten years, I think, I think it's trouncing most of its competition, and I think it's got first mover advantage that makes it something that's going to be an undeniable force probably ten years from now. I think we're going to be. I'm not telling you to go out and buy it, uh, but I am telling you to pay attention and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know if you learn about it, you start questioning some basic assumptions you have about uh, things you've always believed to be true regarding finances and money, and I think it's just good for anybody. Um, to go down that path and, and, and you know you don't have, maybe you, you come to a point where you think it's going to fail and that's fine but you'll probably learn a lot along the way either way yep awesome so. thanks again happy new year happy new year the Spirecast is a bi-weekly podcast produced by Spire Workforce Solutions if you'd like to learn more about Spire how to work with a company like us to find the right career path or if you want to hire more effectively and strategically visit our website at spireworkforcesolutions.com Connect with Mike, Matt, and the rest of the team on LinkedIn, or drop us a line at 732-859-7708. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to The Spirecast.